I want you to think about your favorite movie. Or think about your favorite TV show. We all have one, a favorite movie, favorite TV show, maybe a, uh, a favorite book. Uh, why is it your favorite? I was talking with my kids the other day. We are talking about the movies that we really liked. And, and, and there's a lot of reasons. Maybe there's action. Uh, maybe there's some drama. Maybe, maybe the movie or the book is more than what you originally expected. And so you're pleasantly pleased. But many times the reason that a story is our favorite is because somehow we relate to the characters that are in the story. Maybe they're going through things that we've gone through. Or maybe there's someone that we would like to be. You know, maybe we would, we, we're tired of being the bridesmaid and we would really like to be the bride or we'd like to be the, the, the guy that becomes the action hero that, that, that rescues everyone and, and saves the day. A good story we, had, we can identify with and a good story inspires us. There's a number of Bible stories like that. Jesus was a great storyteller. And his stories explain and inspire, and we can identify with them. And today we're going to look at one of those stories. And when we look at this story, I want to ask you to think about who you most identify with in this passage today. And it's a very familiar passage. It's found in Luke chapter 10. You might know it. It's the passage talking about the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is is all about mercy. You know, there's Good Samaritan hospitals, there's Samaritan's Purse, there's a Good Samaritan law that says if you show mercy to someone and it doesn't go right, then you're, you can't be charged with a, with a crime. So, so when we hear the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, we think about this idea of mercy. Think about who you are in this story, and that's kind of what we want to talk about today. We need to do a little preview before we get into the story, at least that's what the passage does. So I'm going to start reading in verse 25. Of Luke chapter 10, and this is the word of God. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And the expert answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus replied by saying, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. 
expert lawyer. Here, here you have the scene. Jesus is teaching and there's a crowd that's, that's gathered around him. And uh, here's a man who is a respected religious leader, stands up and asks a question. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if this question was asked with sincerity, that's a very good question. That's a question that we, that we all ask. We say, blessed assurance. And this is sort of an assurance question. We want to be safe. We want to be assured. You know, it's like when a child gets a bobo on his finger and he wants his mother to take care of him. And he asks, will I be all right? Or maybe later in life when, when, we, when we have these doubts sometimes about ourselves and we say, am I good enough? Or if we're, we're, we want to go out with someone, if I ask this person out, will they, say, will they say yes? We want that assurance. Make the team fit in the crowd. Pass the exam. Will I get into heaven? What a wonderful question, if it was sincere. It's a good statement. A couple of decades ago, I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, on a Campus Crusade summer project. And while I was at that project, uh, one day I was traveling down the road, and I, I happened to see these two little children, maybe 12 and 8 years old, they were hitchhiking on the highway. And so I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, I saw them, and I, I kept going because I didn't have a place to turn around. And right as I began to turn around, I saw that, that somebody had picked them up to give them a, a ride. Well, by the time I'd gotten back, they were still on the road. And they'd gotten in this car and then gotten out of the car. So, so I pulled over and I said, hey, guys, what are, what are, uh, what are you doing? And one of the older one, the 12-year-old, said, oh, we're just out trying to find the Lord. That's a great question, if he's really sincere. And I thought, man, this is a divine opportunity. So I said, won't you come with me? We'll go get some pizza, and I think I can help you with that. And so we did. We went to a pizza place, got a little pizza, and, and they were hungry, and they were eating and everything. And I was sharing the, the gospel with them. And, and then it got to the point where I was asking, now, do you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? They excused themselves, saying they had to get up and go to the bathroom. Well, after about five minutes, it dawned on me what was actually happening. And I walked outside, and sure enough, they were back hitchhiking, and they were getting in a car, and they were going down their way. They, they made a, he made a wonderful statement, trying to find the Lord, if it was sincere. But he wasn't sincere. He just wanted something to eat. But he heard the gospel. See, the lawyer wasn't sincere either. He wanted to test Jesus. He wanted to justify himself, and so he asked the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, the master teacher, turns it right back, right back to the lawyer. And so he says, well, what do you think? What do you think you have to do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer, he kind of pinned, the, pinned him in a corner already. And the lawyer said, well, you know, there's, there's two great commandments. There's one in Leviticus. There's one in Deuteronomy. Uh, what we were taught from, from, from when we were very, very young, we love the Lord with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. The lawyer gives that answer. And that's the right answer. And Jesus, rather than elaborating on the answer, just says, good answer. That's about it. That's what you need to do. But for the lawyer, that was a little bit too obvious. That was a little bit too simplistic. It's a little bit too first gradish because that answer was the answer that a first grader would give 
And so here's the lawyer trying to justify himself in front of all these people seeking to test Jesus. And Jesus has already got him answering a big question like a first grader would answer the question. Because every good Jewish child would learn the Shema, which is what this answer is called. So it made him look kind of simple and he wanted to save face. So he continues. He says, well, I know I need to do that. I know I need to love the Lord. I know I need to love my neighbor. But what I'm wondering is, Jesus, exactly who is my neighbor? Can you define the phrase my neighbor so I'll know whether I'm keeping this commandment or not? Well, that's sort of a loaded question. He's still trying to justify himself, but he asks a, a pretty big question. <clears throat> and the reason that that question was loaded is because this expert in the law was a student of all of the laws and all of the traditions and all of the interpretations, all of the rulings of, uh, of various things like when can you work and when can you not work, what was clean and what's not clean. And there's so many of these that they've become hard to obey. They're hard to even know all of them. So what these guys had done is they had sort of rationalized and redefined many of these laws to make them more livable, to make them a little easier to follow, to make them a little more suited to their lifestyle. So when this religious expert speaks of the word neighbor, well, they had redefined it. Rather than it being anyone is your neighbor, They had narrowed it down to anyone who professed the same beliefs that he had. The Syrians, they didn't, so they weren't your neighbor. The Babylonians weren't, the Arabs weren't, and especially these half-breed Samaritans, they didn't believe like the Jews did. They weren't their neighbor. They weren't the devout Jew that practiced the law. In effect, what they were saying is that your neighbor is really just another good church member. And that's who they were responsible to. They had narrowed it down, another church member, uh, uh, huddled together in the, in the safety of their own company. God was just going to have to be happy with that definition of neighbor. But, you know, Jesus lived counter to this tradition, didn't he? Jesus hung around with the good church people, <coughs> but he also hung around... <clears throat> with with prostitutes and with tax collectors and with uh, Samaritans as well. He associated with folks like that. And here's what was happening. Over time, these experts, they really did like most of us tend to do. We tend to reduce our relationship with God to sort of a good enough religion. Where we say, I hope that I am good enough. I hope that I am doing well enough to make God happy so that I can get my ticket to heaven. A good enough religion. We all tend to want to fall towards rules because we know that rules are important. A good enough religion. Am I good enough? You know what that does? That limits our relationship with God. It limits it to a set of rules. And a good enough religion can miss the gospel. 
Because the nature of the gospel is not confining. The nature of the gospel is expanding. It's cosmically expanding. It's, it's if I can use this word, conqueringly victorious. It's powerful and it's transforming. The gospel changes lives and it grows in quality and quantity. It is limitless and it doesn't always fit into a nice, tidy compartment. God is beyond our understanding in many, many ways. Who is my neighbor? That's the wrong question. But Jesus answers it. And when he answers it in verses 30 through 37, he goes straight for the heart. And now we get into this story. And it's a story, the Good Samaritan, that's made up of four characters. It's made up of the robbed man. It's made up of a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. It says he's going down the road, going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you probably know that it's about 17 or 18 miles. Maybe you've, you've been on that road and the drop is 3,000 feet. So he literally was going down the road and it was, it was uh, narrow in places and there was cliffs on either side. It's a perfect place for robbers to hang out. And here's this guy going down this road. And it says there was a, uh, a man who was robbed and who was left for dead. They took his clothes. They took everything he had. Doesn't say anything else about it. So he is there. He is unconscious. He has no clothes. Nobody can tell who he is. He was literally helpless. Well, then a priest walks by. And a Levite walks by. The pastor and the worship leader. That's in effect what they were. They walk by and they, they, they scurry. The priest scurries by. He takes the safe route. And that's what the Levite did also. Looked from a distance. Oh, I don't think he's my neighbor. Now, when you read that, you kind of feel like, you know, if anybody ought to do the right thing, it's the pastor, the priest, or it's the Levite, the worship leader. Well, they're, you know, they're hypocrites. They just go on by, and that's not a good thing. And it's not, but think about what might have been going on in their minds. How could they be sure, according to the law, that this was their neighbor? He couldn't be identified. He didn't have any special marks on him or anything. He wasn't wearing certain types of clothes. And according to the law, you know, a priest had an important duty. A priest had a a sacred duty. He had to be clean and holy to do his duty in the temple. Couldn't get any closer than uh, six feet to a dead man. Because if he did, he would be defiled. And in order to tell the condition of this fellow, he would have to get closer than that. So he was in a quandary. If he was uh, found out that he was not a Jew, then he could be risking defilement. Now, what's, what's so bad about that? Well, that means he can't do his job. So maybe all this is going on in his mind. He can't collect and he can't distribute. He can't eat from the temple uh, uh, offerings and his income would be com- cut off. And his in- if he's out of a job then uh, for a period of time, then his family and his servants would suffer the consequences. And there would be shame, shame from the people. There would be shame from his peers and embarrassment. Plus, it wasn't like he never helped the poor. It was his regular duty to give alms to the poor in the temple. And Levite had, might have been thinking the same way as well. So it's a little bigger deal. It's easy to rationalize. Or they may have rationalized it this way. <clears throat> this is a dangerous road. And here's a fellow who's just been robbed. What if those robbers are still around 
maybe they're going to seek to rob me. And I need to get out of here as fast as I can. But whatever the case, these fellows rationalized and it felt okay in their minds because they were sticking with the rules and because of that they were justified in passing by. Here comes a Samaritan. Jesus picks the Samaritan to illustrate being a good neighbor. As you probably know, this was a radical illustration because the, the, the Jewish people and the Samaritans didn't get along very well. The Samaritans were considered uh, half-breed uh, Jews. Uh, and and to, to come up with this illustration would, would almost be, uh, because of their level of animosity, would almost be the equivalent of an African-American man stooping over to help a wounded Klansman or an Al-Qaeda Helping an American soldier is a radical illustration. So here's this Samaritan. He stops and he picks up the man and he puts him on the back of his donkey. And he takes him to the inn. Think about the things that he could have been thinking that probably he wasn't thinking. But what if this robbed man was from the area? Or what if he was, when he got to the inn, some of his friends were, were at the inn? And he gets there, and then here's these uh, buddies of this robbed man, and they're going, what did you do to our friend? What if they shot first and asked questions later? The priest and the Levite may have lost their careers if they would have helped, but the Samaritan literally was risking his life to help this helpless, unidentified robbed man. You see, instead of trying to figure out if this guy was his neighbor or, or, or trying to come up with all the reasons why he, he shouldn't help, trying to fit everything into a tidy box, figuring out what to do, the Samaritan will get the idea that he just came alongside this robbed man and did what is necessary. He picked him up. He cleaned him off. He took him to the inn. And he said, here is some money I want this fellow to be taken care of. And when I, I will come back and check on him because I care about him. And I'll pay you anything else that is owed. I want you to look at this story. And I want you to remember the lawyer's question. Remember, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? But look how Jesus turns the question around. In verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Do you see it? You see, the right question is not, who is my, who is my neighbor? The right question is, how can I be a neighbor? That's the question that Jesus wanted the lawyer and the people who are listening to get to. Love the Lord your God with all. With all your heart, that's your emotions, and your mind, that's your, our intellect and our soul, that's our will and our strength, physically even. And love your neighbor with the same intent that you love yourself. See, the Good Samaritan did the all. The Good Samaritan changed his plan. He gave up his time as much as it took. He gave up his money as much as it took. He risked his life. That is the all. And when we read this story, what do we think? What do we first think as we begin to digest all of this? Especially where Jesus ends the conversation. When he says, go and do likewise. We come away thinking, I understand this. Let's move on. 
What it's saying is we should be like the good Samaritan. And I'm certainly not going to disagree with that. Because that's what it means to love your neighbor. With the all. Be like the good Samaritan. That's a tall order. Because you see, to love our neighbor as ourselves means that when we're hungry and we see someone in need, our desire to satisfy their hunger should be as great as our desire is to satisfy our hunger. And their shelter and their safety should be as much of a concern to us as our shelter and our safety is to us. And even the same desire that we have to matter and to count and to be significant and to have our opinions heard and valued, we should expend the same amount of energy on others as we do on ourselves. I don't know about you, but I sort of have a problem with this. Because I find that deep down, I'm kind of like this lawyer. I'm kind of like this priest. I'm kind of like this this Levite. I think deep down, so many people gravitate to this idea that we are justified as long as we keep the rules. But everybody knows that deep down we don't keep all the rules. In fact, we are powerless to keep all the rules. And you know where many people live? They live with this uncertainty that says, I hope I am good enough. I hope that my my good outweighs my bad so that I will be good enough to make it. So that I'll be good enough with God so that I can inherit eternal life. Be the good Samaritan. Is that the end of what Jesus is telling this lawyer when he says, go and do likewise? To be like the good Samaritan? And I ask you, where do you see yourself in this story? Are we like the good Samaritan? Or do we tend to be more like the priest and the the Levite, the lawyer? Sometimes I pass by. Sometimes I see a problem and I study it. Then I go on to something else. And I haven't gotten the all down. But maybe that's the point. When we're faced and identify with what Jesus is saying when he's telling the story of the Good Samaritan, is it really leaves us with two choices. We can bend and we can redefine the rules. We can uh, fit them into our lives in a workable way, compromising like the expert. Or we can be honest and face the fact squarely that we can't keep all the rules, that we fail. We fall short, that we're helpless, that we're in a sense very much like this robbed man. Not in just an intellectual way, but deep down in our heart of hearts, we're helpless. Maybe that's what Jesus was really trying to get the lawyer to understand. Because you never know how good is good enough. You have to be perfect. We're helpless. How helpless are we? About a year ago, I read a story of a a guy was riding a motorcycle, and he he had a a, a terrible crash into a car, and and the motorcycle fell, and he slid with the motorcycle underneath the car. And it looked like he was dead. And there was onlookers that were gathered around, and the car was dripping and had begun smoking, and they didn't know the condition of this man, but the group gathered together, and they lifted the car up and dragged this man out, not knowing if he was alive or dead. Well, he was still alive. And right after they pulled him to safety, the car lit fire and blew up. 
They had saved this man's life. He was completely helpless. There's nothing that he could have done. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that the fellow who was pulled from underneath this car by these neighbors will now have so much more of a greater desire to be a neighbor to other people because of the what was done to him, because they saved his life? Maybe the idea is that we are like the man that was underneath that car, helpless. That we are like the, the robbed man in this parable. We're really helpless. And maybe the point that Jesus was trying to get to uh, in, in the mind and the heart of the self-justifying expert and get to us as well is that we're a lot more like the robbed man left for dead than we're like the good Samaritan. And if we are the robbed man, then who is the good Samaritan? Jesus Christ. He is the eternal good Samaritan. Because he did everything for us that the good Samaritan did for the, uh, for the robbed man and even more. He has not only saved our lives, he did the all to do it. Do you see that? That is how we have eternal life. That's how we receive it. We cry out to the good Samaritan. We, we cry out and depend upon him, upon Jesus Christ, to let him rescue us, to let him be the one that takes care of us. Love the Lord your God with all. And love your neighbor with the same love that you have for yourself. I came across this in my notes as I was a statement as I was preparing the sermon. Listen to what it says. It really hits to the point. It says, And not until we see that Jesus has become a true neighbor to us will we ever be a true neighbor to someone else. In other words, to the degree you believe that you are the man on the side of the road, to the degree that you believe that Jesus came to give you free grace and it cost him his very life to reach you and heal you, to the degree that you see that Jesus came to love you, the unlovely, to that same degree you'll be the kind of neighbor Jesus is calling you to be. And until you see this, you will always struggle to love the unlovely. So how are you? How are you feeling up to this point as we look at the story of the Good Samaritan? Well, there's two ways. One way is to feel guilty. I don't measure up. I'm supposed to be the Good Samaritan, but boy, I, I fall short. So we can feel guilty. The second way is to feel gratitude. And let me encourage that. Let me encourage you to see yourself as the robbed man who is now healed, who is completely taken care of by Jesus, who will never leave us or forsake us because he is the eternal good Samaritan. Now go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for your son who is the good Samaritan. What a wonderful privilege it is that we can uh, identify with this story or that we don't have to be perfect. That in even trying to keep all the rules, it shows us our need for you. Thank you for the provision of your son. Thank you that that for your grace that says live and now obey because of the power that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We come to you with grateful hearts. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.